So if you'd like to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this week, and that's where I'm going to preach to you from, uh, is the book of 1 Peter. And so I preached on the first half of chapter 1 just a few weeks back in January. And what happens in these letters, okay, when Peter writes this letter, he's like writing one continuous thought, right? He's got a bunch of different themes, and he's like processing as he's going. It's not really written to be preached long form like this all the time. So sometimes when we come to a text like this, we're like jumping right in the middle of what Peter's first original thought was. So it's kind of important that we kind of know what he's talking about before we engage with the passage, okay? So uh, the first half of chapter one of First Peter, we're going to talk about the second half this morning. The first half I preached on a few weeks ago, and what I've done is actually taken my sermon and like pulled it into like one sentence. I like combined it mismatched a bunch of different stuff and made it into one sentence, all right? And, and I'm going to give it to you, but I know what you're thinking right now is, why don't we, why don't pastors do that more often? Why can't we do the whole one sentence message thing more often? That sounds great. Uh, why would I do that if I give you, give you 30 minutes worth of sentences is all I'm saying. So here's what First Peter, the first half of chapter one, these are kind of the themes that are brought together. And it's this, that in Christ, we have a new hope based on a new identity as we enter a new family, and there's a bunch of different themes tied in together. There's a bunch of baggage that comes with that. Peter has a lot of different meanings when he comes to this. But basically what he says is this, is that based on the work of Christ, we now have hope in this life. We have hope in this life because of what Jesus has done. And what Peter is going to introduce us to uh, as we move forward in this passage, he's going to say, now what is this new hope, new identity, a new family? What does that mean for how we live our lives now? What does that mean for the reality, the perspective, the worldview that we have? What is, how does this new hope, new identity, and new family, how does that shape our journey? If we've decided to be followers of Christ, how is that going to shape our journey? And so we're going to pick that up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Are you guys good if I start? You good with this? I'm going to need a verbal yes. 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 Okay, good. Glad you're with me this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, this is a turning point passage, and we're going we're gonna to read quite a bit more of the scripture this morning. We're going to get through to about chapter 2, verse 3. Um, but as we go, Peter is going to bring us into this mindset and this process of going from hope to holiness, going from hope to holiness. He gives us this basis of hope in who Christ is and, and the work that he's done, the grace that he's given to us, the mercy he extends to us. And how does that make us grow? How does that make us change? It makes us to be more holy. Okay, and that's the idea, and so that's my sermon title for you this weekend, is we are going from hope to holiness. This is the process that Peter wants to enroll us in this morning. Okay, and here's, here's where that creates tension for us. When we come to the idea of holiness, first off, that's a word that we don't use often, um, especially if we're not in church or not like around church people. We don't use or hear the word holy all that often. I'll give us a definition in just a moment. Uh, but the other idea that creates tension for us is this idea of growing as Christians. How do we grow as Christians? Why do we grow as Christians? What's the point of that? And, and that creates a bunch of different reactions to it. Um, but these two ideas of holiness, growing in holiness, to be holy as God is holy, and this idea of Christian growth, they really are one and the same. They, they go together. And it's this, this word called sanctification really ties these themes together. Everybody say sanctification. sanctification. 
you've learned a church word today, or maybe you've heard it plenty of times, that's okay. Sanctification is the process by which we become more holy. We consecrate ourselves would be like the Old Testament word for this, okay? Now, the idea of sanctification is something that the Spirit of God does within us. The moment that we put our hope, faith, and trust in Jesus, we commit our allegiance to Him. He sends His Spirit to be within us. The Spirit begins to create fruit within us, right? And that's the famous Galatians 5.22 passage, that the fruit of the Spirit is created when the Spirit comes within us and begins the sanctifying work of making us more holy. Now, I'm probably not going to use the word sanctification all that much today. We're going to talk about this idea of Christian growth. Well, what does it mean to grow in our walk? What does it mean to grow in our Christian faith? And, and what I've experienced for sure in my life and whenever I've counseled people about this, there's a lot of different reactions when we talk about growing as a Christian. There's a lot of different reactions. The first one uh, that I see plenty is like anxiety. It's like, I've tried this before and it didn't work. I've tried other things like this before. It didn't work. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if I can commit this time. Uh, and the anxiety like builds up and people are like, well, how can I grow as a Christian if I don't know how to handle my job right? How can I grow as a Christian if my finances are a mess? How can I grow as a Christian if I, my mom and dad's relationship with me is a mess? H- how, how do I grow as a Christian if I don't know how to get out of bed in the morning? Right? And that's the anxiety that pushes on us and, and kind of shifts our focus from, from the problem, truly. Um, but that's the, the noise of the world that's going on around us, clouds out this, this need in our lives to grow as Christians. The second reaction that I get plenty is, is like giddiness, is excitement, which is the exact opposite of the anxiety, right? Many people who come to church, they're, they're hungry for the word. We're hungry for prayer. And for some reason, you're really hungry to just be silent with God. What a beautiful thing, all right? I struggle with that. I don't do that all the time. If that's you right now, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Sometimes excitement is that reaction, but I think probably the most common one that I see when we begin to talk about Christian growth, when we begin to challenge ideas of how we grow as people of the faith, of followers of Jesus, is actually guilt. I see guilt a lot. And here's why, because there is a common understanding as Christians that we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to grow up into Jesus Christ, who is our head. We're we're supposed to be growing. We understand that. But the reality is we either don't know how, we've tried and failed, it's difficult, we don't have time, and and there becomes this gap between the expectation and the reality of what's going on. And Pastor Matt taught me something really, really interesting about this, is that uh, the difference between expectation and reality, that gap there, the gap is disappointment. We're disappointed with things that we have an expectation for that the reality doesn't match up. And that disappointment feeds into our guilt when it comes to the Christian walk. It feeds into our guilt, into self-perpetuating guilt. The more guilty we feel about not growing as Christians, the more paralyzed we are to the problem. The the more guilty we are, the more we are unable to to move towards God, to move towards Christian growth. And what what I'm here to say to you today is that it is possible. You can grow as a Christian. God is not hiding from you. God is not hiding from you. There are ways that we can grow, and there are ways that we can grow together. And that is this road from hope to holiness. If maybe that is your first start today, is simply with hope. I promise you there is hope for you. There is hope in your Christian walk. There is hope if you are here and you do not know Jesus. There is hope for you. And maybe that's where we need to begin, and that's okay. Maybe some of you have walked part of the road from hope to holiness, and and you're lost along the way, and you're not exactly sure what the next step is. That's okay. This is the process that Peter is going to bring us deeper into today. Are you guys good if I read some more word this morning? Are we together this morning? 
If you're with me, say I am. Okay, verse 14. We're going to read through verse 21 here of 1 Peter. It says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and a spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So this first movement that Peter's going to make for us in, the, in this road from hope to holiness is a very simple idea, but it's, it's this, is that we embrace holiness by putting aside sin. We embrace holiness by putting aside sin. Now in verse 14, Peter talks about it and he says, you have to put away the old self, right? You have to, you have to deny who you were before meeting Christ. Now, I'm sure you have heard this taught before in a church, that we have to put aside sin in our Christian life. And you're like, no kidding, pastor. Thank you. I'm not carrying guilt over that anyways, right? You want to bring it up now? Yes, I do, unfortunately. So, well, not unfortunately. This is actually a good thing, okay? For us to grow in our Christian life, for us to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, for us to grow in this idea of going from hope to holiness, it's going to require us giving up something. One of the ways that I have to explain this is 30-day free trials, okay? Have you ever had an app or a service that gave you a 30-day free trial? You don't have to raise your hand. I know all of you have, right? We all have, okay? Now, when I was younger, probably like middle school-aged-ish, um, most of you are probably thinking, oh, no, he's going to tell a middle school boy story. Yes. Oh, no, is right. Um, one of the first companies that really made this idea of the 30-day free trial famous was Netflix, right? Now, I'm sure people had it before, and I'm sure, but it, Netflix definitely made it more of a mainstream idea to offer their service for free for 30 days, okay? That was like one of their first things. And all you had to do at the time... Uh, was put in your email address and get a login created. You didn't have to put in payment information at the beginning. You didn't used to have to do that. You know, you just needed to throw in an email, get a login, and you could stream movies, videos, all you wanted for 30 days. Now, me and my good friend, middle school boys, once again, mind you, uh, we decided we needed more email addresses, okay? <laughs> Are you tracking with what I'm saying? <laughs> so each month, one of us would just trade off making a new Gmail account so that we could have Netflix for free again that month. Now, I'm aware that this is like, it's like theft, but it's not theft, but it's theft, okay? Can we agree that it's like gray area? Okay, we can agree. It's like, yeah, you know. Now, did this work for about six months? Yeah. But then Netflix, you know, started to like require your payment information up front, and I didn't have a card, credit card, so how could I pay for it? I couldn't. So, you know, I didn't have Netflix for a while, but not before I had six months of free Netflix. And so, we decided, you know, we needed these new email addresses and all these things. And, and here's the thing, it just kind of caught up with us, right? At some point, we were no longer going to be able to have Netflix for free, okay? At some point, it was going to cost us something, and it, and it definitely caught up with us. And I think this is actually the turning point that Peter is making in the passage here, is that at some point, this road from hope to holiness, it is going to cost us something, now, that being said, when we talk about being free in Christ or having things freely offered and freely received, 
Jesus' grace, his mercy, always free, always offered, always received for free. There's nothing that you have to pay. There's no 30-day free trial in God's grace, okay? That is a separate issue, I promise. But, But when it comes to this road from growing in hope and growing in holiness, at some point it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. We're going to have to begin to crowd out things in our life that don't belong there in the first place. Now, that being said, what, what I have not come to preach to you today is judgment. There, there is no judgment from me, or really there shouldn't be from anybody who's sitting next to you either, okay? There's no judgment in the room this morning. When we talk about putting aside sin in our lives, it, what I don't want this idea of Christian growth and faith to become about is keeping your ledger clean. Because that's not really what growing in holiness is about. Growing in holiness is not about perfection. There's no way that we could achieve perfection. There's no way that we could achieve it. When, when we talk about holiness or to be holy, it simply means to be set apart. Now, when we talk about God and God's holiness, yes, that set apartness, that difference is based on his perfection. Now, we will never be perfect like he is perfect. Is that our call in scripture? Absolutely it is. Now, what happens is when, when, when Jesus dies for us, when, when he offers his life on the cross as a substitution for our sins, that makes our ledger clean. Jesus has now separated us from our sin as far as in his eyes, all right? But that doesn't change the reality that we have a sin nature, that we're going to continue to mess up. We're going to do things in, in that empty way of life that Peter talked about. But when we talk about pursuing holiness, it's not about keeping your ledger clean. It's not about perfection. That's not attainable. What it is about, however, is the renovation of our hearts. It's about the changing of what's on the inside of us. It's about changing the attitudes that lead to our actions. It's not really about behavior modification at the end of the day. It's about renovating our hearts. It's about changing what's on the inside. And this is something, the perfect example of this is the Pharisees in Scripture. The Pharisees were like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And they thought their, that their really righteous actions that they did in public for everybody else was what was going to keep them holy, make them holy, and keep them saved, right? And so they would have these really long, amazing prayers that were in Jewish, right? And they, they would give these huge offerings to the church where everyone could see. And, and they had all of these different practices that they would do where people could see them and think, oh, that person must be really, really holy. And so they would like make their faces look really sad and downtrodden when they were fasting because they're fasting for the Lord. But it all came from a heart of self-righteousness. It all came from a heart of greed and pride. And Jesus speaks to this directly in Matthew chapter 23. Let me read his reaction to these Pharisees who were doing these things. Jesus says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat and you gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may become clean. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like white-washed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to the people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And if anybody ever comes to you and says that Jesus is not clear in his teaching, you need to guide them to Matthew 23 because he's very clear in what his teaching is about holiness and what sin truly is and what it truly means. And sin comes from a heart that is evil. 
Sin comes from a heart that is evil, all right? Jesus confronts the Pharisees about their righteous deeds and reminds them that what's on the inside, what's inside of us, the attitudes that we carry around, that's what's most important. He says to the Pharisees that they're whitewashed tombs, that they are carrying around brokenness, death, and destruction within them. Jesus is very clear about this, that they are carrying around this empty way of life and offering it to other people that they carry around death and destruction within them. And that is this empty way of life that Peter talks about, that he says we need to lay aside this empty way of life and take up the fullness that Jesus is offering to us. Jesus says that the, that the way that these Pharisees were acting, the way that they were going about their faith or their growth or their holiness, that was not holiness. That was not the holiness he came to preach. Holiness begins in the heart and in the attitude. Like I said a moment ago, Jesus' goal is not behavior modification, but it's renovating our hearts. It's changing the attitudes on the inside of the cup, so to speak. Holiness is not that we would just avoid sin, but it's that we would pursue righteousness. It's not just avoiding sin, keeping our ledger clean, but it's pursuing righteousness. And, and this is the idea that I want us to think about for just a moment here, is the idea of, of giving up and taking up, okay? Now, when I, when I talked about sin, we talk about it's going to cost us something, the, this road from hope to holiness is going to cost us something. We have to lay aside sin. When, as we're laying aside sin, we're taking up holiness, right? We're taking up the things of God. And that's the idea here is that, is that as Jesus, grace, mercy, truth, all of these things are offered to us, it crowds out the space in our heart for all of the other evil intentions and attitudes that we have. This is part of the whole like, idea behind the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is talking about the renovation of the heart and changing who we are on the inside. And, and he talks about these, these attitudes that create in us actions. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says that anger is murder. He doesn't say that anger leads to murder. He says anger is murder. A few verses later, he says that lust is adultery. Not that lust leads to adultery. He says lust is adultery, and I take him seriously. And this is what Jesus is talking about, that empty way of life is the bones that we carry around within us, the death and destruction that we carry around within us that lead to evil. But the more that we begin to take up love for our brothers and sisters, the more that we begin to take up cherishing other images of God, the less room there is for anger. The more we listen to what Jesus says about loving and praying for our enemies, the less room there is for anger and murder in our own hearts. There's no longer any room for it. And so when we talk about coming to sin as growing as Christians, it's a laying down and it's a taking up. Take up the attitudes of Christ. Reflect the attitudes of Christ is what Philippians 2 says. Put aside this empty way of life that does lead to death and destruction. Take up life and life to the fullest that Jesus offers. In fact, Peter also kind of has a list for this. In chapter 2, verse 1, let me turn there real quick. I'm all over the place in this Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, this is kind of the list that Peter gives when he talks about laying aside these attitudes. Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And what we see here is, is not a list of ledgers and rules, but it's a list of attitudes that bubble up from within us. The more we have the love of Christ for others, the less we have malice. The more we, we live by the truth and in the truth of Jesus, the less we have room for deceit. It's a laying aside and it's a taking up. And that's the same theme that Peter is teaching us through this process. The second idea, the second connection that Peter makes to holiness is this, is that we embrace holiness by loving one another. I know that that sounds simple. I know that you've heard that and preached in church as well. 
But this is the second idea that Peter leads us into when he talks about holiness. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. We purify ourselves by the word of God so that we can love one another. This word purifies us so that we would love each other in the right way. We come into this family of God together with the common goal of, of loving Jesus and embracing holiness. You, you can guarantee that people who are walking around amongst you today that know Jesus, we, we have the same interest at heart loving Jesus and embracing holiness together. And Peter says that we should love one another constantly because of this reality that we live in. And Jesus is also really direct about this idea of loving one another being part of our identity. In, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he says this to them, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, right? And then he goes on to say that, that this is how others will know that their identity is, is followers of Jesus, is by their love for one another. That's how others will know. And so Jesus himself reminds them that this identity that they have is based for love, based in love for one another. And, and, and so my, my question today for you is, do you want to grow as a Christian? If you do, go love somebody. If you want to grow as a Christian, go love somebody. It does not have to be any more difficult than that. Go and love somebody. Today, go love somebody. Now, right here when Peter's talking about loving one another, he's also talking about being committed to one another, okay? He, he uses the word agape, and we're going to talk about agape in just a moment, but, but it kind of carries with this the idea of community, okay? The idea of loving one another and being committed to one another as a community. We all walk down this road from hope to holiness together, and that's the only way that we can do it is by doing it together. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with our parking lot because you parked there this morning. I'm assuming that you did. And so our parking lot, if you've seen it, okay, it's, it's pretty large. It's, you know, if you were to take the square footage of it, it's pretty big. So when it snows, there's a bit of snow, okay? I'm saying all logical things here, yes? Okay. So when... <laughs> What happens is we get people with shovels, and there's a company that comes in with their trucks and the big shovels and all that good stuff, and they pull all the snow into, like, one pile in one spot, right, normally. And there's, like, two or three of these, like, big old piles of snow, right? And, and when the snow is piled up like that, it will last for days, days after it's snowed. It'll last for a long time after it's snowed because all the snow is like stuck in one spot and it kind of begins to regulate its own temperature. And there's enough of it there that as it melts and refreezes, melts and refreezes, it actually kind of becomes colder at the center. It becomes colder in the middle and it's actually able to last longer. You, you'd be surprised how long these pieces of snow melt are stuck right here just in our parking lot, right? And it's because of how much that it stays together, how much of it is pulled together. Now, if you wanted to melt the, that snow, if you wanted to actually melt those things down, the quickest and best, most efficient way to do it would be to break it apart, right? You'd break it apart so that all the snow and the ice and everything is in different spots. There's less of it to melt at a time. It can't regulate its own temperature at all because there's not enough of it in one spot. That is the image for growing in holiness together as a community. As we love one another, as we stick together with one another, as we commit to our community together, we can outlast everything that's going on outside. We can outlast anything that is of the world or from the world because of the love that we carry as one community. If you want to grow 
in holiness, if you want to take this road from hope to holiness, the worst way that you could do that is isolated. The worst way you could do that is alone, is, is not spending time with any other person or, or not having anybody in your life to love or be committed to. Peter is communicating to us that, that this step in the journey of hope to holiness requires us to love one another. And he uses the word agape. I mentioned that a moment ago. Uh, there are like four traditional words for love in the Greek. We do not have time to talk about all of the implications. Each one kind of means something a little bit different. All right, and so the word agape love is most commonly used uh, to describe like God's love for other people or Jesus' love for other people or, or God's action in the world is most commonly used agape. And it's actually probably uh, of those four different types of love is probably the one that has the deepest meaning. Um, and, and so agape love is about, it's about faithfulness. It's about commitment. It's an act of will towards one another, towards another person. It's a love that comes with promise, promises. It's a love that sacrifices. And this is actually the love that... Uh, Paul famously describes in the chapter, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to read that passage in just a moment, but it's a really famous chapter because normally we read it at weddings, right? And we, and we use this idea of love for weddings, and, and we use them as commitments to one another. And it's a beautiful image, but this word agape is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about romantic love. He's talking about the love that Christians should actually have for one another, and so is Peter here. Let me read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through like halfway through verse 8. It says this, agape is patient, agape is kind, agape does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrongs. Agape finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Agape never ends. And so is that a great message for weddings? Absolutely it is, absolutely it is. That's why I use this passage whenever I do weddings. But, but at the same time, this is the love that Peter says that we should have for one another. This is the love that Peter describes about the Christian community. Okay, I, and I want you to just pause for a moment and imagine for just a second that we would actually take vows of love like this for one another. Not just for like wife or husband or for family, but what if this was actually the love that we described about, about our community and our people? Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably uncomfortable, even though it shouldn't be, okay? I, I make the students do this all the time at youth group. Look around you. Look around you. Look around you at the people who are in this room together, who are on that hope to holiness journey, who, who based on what the word leads us to, we should be agape loving one another. Agape love someone in this room today. That's my challenge to you. Learn someone's name that you do not know. There are plenty of people in here. I don't know everybody's name. Go learn somebody's name today. Go learn somebody's name today. In fact, take somebody to lunch today. Agape someone today. It doesn't have to be me, by the way. I heard Pastor Matt's free. But take someone to lunch today. We, we have people who are serving this morning, who are serving your coffee and, and, and helping us to get seats and all those things. Take, somebody, take someone like that who is serving this morning. Take them to lunch. Agape someone today. Imagine for just a moment what our churches, what this church, what this community would look like if we committed to agape one another, if we committed to in Christian community to love one another without holding things back, to endure all things, to bear all things, to believe all things, to have never-ending love for one another, a love that does not boast, that does not envy, that is fully true truthful and based on the truth itself, Jesus. Imagine that for just a moment. Now go do it. Don't wait. Agape someone in this room right now, today. Once again, I say, do you want to grow as a Christian? Love someone. 
love someone today, that's what Peter is leading us to. That's what Jesus leads us to as well. That being said, that the last kind of idea that I want to walk through today in this, this road from hope to holiness that Peter is going to talk about uh, is in the last couple verses, verse 24 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, and it's this idea of pursuing God. So we embrace holiness by pursuing God together. We embrace holiness by pursuing God together. Let me read to you these verses, verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And there is no other way that I can describe growing in holiness or going from hope to holiness. I can't describe this any other way than come and taste and see that the Lord is good. If God himself is holy and perfect and fully holy, then to taste that he is good is to grow in holiness. It's to taste holiness. It's the same thing. See, what Peter's doing here, he's actually reflecting on two different really famous passages of Scripture, and he actually pulls them together into one, right? And so Isaiah 40 is what he quotes from directly, and that's the, the, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's Isaiah 40, really famous passage of Scripture. And then Peter also takes Psalm 34 that has, I would love to talk Psalm 34 today. We do not have time for that that's for sure. But he takes these two obviously formative texts for him in his life, and he kind of pulls them together to create this idea of holiness, to create this idea of, of being with the Father and spending time with the Father. And so this is what I was kind of saying at the beginning of the sermon today, is that, that God is not hiding from you. So when we talk about embracing holiness by pursuing God, he's not hiding from you. This, this isn't a game. It's not a joke. He wants to be known. He wants to be known by you. This revelation, he's not hiding from you. God can be known. He can be known. There's this really great quote that I came across this week, and I scoured the internet. I couldn't find out who said it, um, but, but it goes like this. It says, God doesn't just want to be believed in. He wants to be known. He wants to be known. And it's one thing to say, yes, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, I believe that he sent his one and only son to die for me on the cross. Yes, I believe those things. But do you know him? Do you know him? Once again, he's not hiding from you. The goal of holiness is to know God and to have him shape us, to have him shape us into his own image. Embracing holiness, this, this, this road that we talked today, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. It takes time. It's not going to happen in one moment. But that's why all three of the ideas that we talked about today, I think, I think all of them can be formative and helpful for us when we talk about laying aside sin. If that's, that, if that's where you're at in your life and your growth to holiness is, is trying to lay aside sin, which, number one, that's all of us, by the way. Um, but if, if that's where you're at, if you're like, that's, that's where I'm struggling with, that's where I need to be, then, then I want you to take with you this idea of, of pushing aside and taking up. So take up the love, grace, and mercy of God and allow that to crowd out the evil that's within us. Or, or maybe... Right now, you're not sure what actions you're supposed to be doing. What, what could be your next step? Maybe that's loving somebody like we talked about today. Maybe that's simply taking somebody to lunch, learning their name, and learning something about them. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. How, how are you agape loving the people that you're committed to? How are you agape loving the people who are in your family, obviously, but, but in your church family in this room? 
How are we agape loving one another, right? And then lastly, this idea of pursuing God. He wants to be known. He can be known. Let's be intentional with our pursuit of God. Let's be intentional about creating rhythms of, of, of being in the word or of praying or of being simply silent before the Lord. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but you should this week. Uh, set your phone for one minute of a timer and think of nothing but God for one minute. I promise it'll be hard. But also, those are the moments where we finally quiet our mind and maybe consider for a moment what God is asking us to do that day or in that moment. Try it. What, what do you have to lose, by the way? You don't have anything to lose. But all three of these ideas, all three of these images are, are deep theological structures that we could take an hour on with each little piece. But, but here's what we've done today is we've painted the image of truly what a disciple is, of truly what a disciple looks like. And a disciple is this, is a person who's motivated by this divine love and loving relationship with the Father, this divine hope to embrace holiness and be God's partner in creating a beautiful new creation that began with the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was hung on a cross and rose again after the third day. At the end of the day, that's the why. We asked ourselves at the beginning of this, how do we grow as Christians, but also why? Why do we grow as Christians? And it's that the, the reason we embrace this holiness and, and we grow as Christians is to be part of this new creation that Jesus is bringing about right now that began with his empty grave. It's not about being seen as righteous or being seen as great or godly or good or any of those things. It's no longer about any of those motivations or factors. It's not about that. It's about knowing and loving a father who knows and loves us. I'll have you bow your heads with me this week.